0: Hello and welcome to a very special at home episode 8 of the Weekend Review from the Voiro podcast where we look at everything that went on this week in the world of streaming, ad tech, monetization at the internet at large. I'm Anand and with me as always is Kavita Shanoi, founder and CEO of Voiro. How are you Kavita?
1: I'm good. How are you? How has COVID treated you this, this last week?
0: I thought it was over. I thought the pandemic was done and I had a very rude shock when I discovered that I have COVID. But thankfully now I'm over it. But we are staying away from all our colleagues just to be safe.
1: Yeah, you want to learn to live with it, I guess. Absolutely. Yep, It takes you back in time, right? When you used to go to uh, office, you know, your proper Tylenol, Advil, Crocin, whatever was your your uh, medicine of choice and say, you know, I'm going to get it together and just go to office and get my work done. And people coughing, people who were coughing in the corridors were not, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't glance at them askance or, you know, or even sort of frown. Today, even if you have the slightest bit of uh, an indication that you're going to come down with a cold, you're out of there, right? Because it's no longer, you're no longer feeling guilty, which is a good thing. I remember when I was in Google and in those days, um, they used to have this concept of a bonded warehouse. You remember where you used to be working for a different country. And so they you had there were certain rules that you had to abide by within that space. So those bonded warehouses used to have notices because all of them used to be working different hours. They were on they were on time sheets. So time was money for them. And so people falling sick was a definite no-no. So, it, it, you know, during, I think at that time, there was, um, there was SARS in Southeast Asia. And they had this big notice that said, if you're running a temperature, if you have a runny nose, go home. And I'd be like, oh, big deal if you, you know, you have a little bit of a runny nose at that point in time because I really wanted to get work done. But today, thankfully, work from home, remote working. Uh, I know we missed you for a couple of days, but then you came like, you came rearing back. After some time saying, I can't do this anymore. I need something to keep I myself busy, guys.
0: Yeah, I, I just I just cannot do it. And now, of course, after two years of, of dodging COVID, I finally got it. I have also given my wife one more data point for her to be convinced that I am a really bad, sick person. Apparently, I'm very badly behaved. And I'm sick.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: no. Oh, no. Uh, anyway. Okay. So. I know that you have been... Looking into several CTV activities this week. So, what's going on in the world of CTV?
1: Look, Cannes had a lot of coverage. There has been a lot of noise about CTV. The fact that it's an extremely, um, it's an extremely effective medium, but it's still under invested in. Um, Samsung Ads has been doing so much. I see them all over the place in terms of setting up their own funnel in terms of getting new ad formats out there and there's a lot of PR around it. There's a big debate over whether CTV is actually a device play, whether it is just, uh, you know, it is just broadcast over the internet and so on and so forth. We're in a bit of a transition, transitionary phase uh, in CTV, right? And for listeners, and I'd I'd love to hear somebody else's opinion on this, what we have finally come to a conclusion on CTV is that it's a device play. Right, it's about viewing broadcast content through internet pipes, and the most uh, or viewing internet-enabled uh, content or internet-first content, like say YouTube, on a television screen. So there is, I think, there are there is no doubt in the fact that the size of screen and the concept of the television actually playing out this content is connected TV, as the the name says. But Mm -hmm. there is a transitionary phase that we all have to be very aware of and and also take this opportunity to reinvent television sales and television buying in terms of ads as of today. So Evan Shapiro, which is somebody who you started following and now I'm following as well, uh, put up on LinkedIn a study that Group M and uh, and another, I think, iSpot TV came up with. They said that 17% of TV ads are now served when, on on TV ads, which is, I mean, CTV ads, are served when the TV is off, right? Which probably translates to about $1 billion in terms of revenue in ads that were served while those television sets were off. And this particularly happens when uh, the OS of the TV is not integrated into the television set. So, you know, this is in terms of if I'm using, see, a dongle, right, like a fire stick, or a any other cast. kind of Dong or a Chromecast. Yeah. So it's 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 not going to know where it's actually playing out, right? So it's it's going to be difficult for that particular television screen, which is not as intelligent, to know when it's on or, or when it's off. Now, this for the last how many of a year's of television that existed, when we have Nielsen to fall back on and we had Tam to fall back on in terms of sample sets, was the norm. There were ads being served that you were technically paying for. On streams that people weren't at that point in time watching, so it's just it's just something that was anyway going to happen because it's transit. We are in that transition phase between completely enabled IP enabled screens and set top boxes and uh, televisions versus you know these uh, this kind of band-aid situation between I have a nice screen and I want to make sure that I'm I'm accessing. Content from the internet, and I'm gonna plug it in via a dongle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you were talking about the elephant in the room for CTV. Yes, right.
0: Yes, I um, I was looking into reviews from Can, um, which I always thought was largely a celebration of creativity, and that's what the Can Lion Award was uh, set out to do. But. This is the first year I discovered just how much ad tech and martech activity takes place on the sidelines of Cannes. I'm not sure if this is a legitimate uh, illustration or if it was a meme, but I saw a luma scape of whose yacht was par- parked next to whose ah. at Cannes, and I'm gonna put that up in the description. But it was interesting to see how many tech players participate on the sidelines of Cannes. And Rob Webster wrote an interesting blog where he said. Can brings together our industry's best minds, all speaking freely with a little Um, rosé. Sounds like something something we would all love to be a part of. (laughs) But among several takeaways, and of course, um, uh, news articles or TMZ-esque articles that came out that said, you know, Google was seeing pitching heavily uh, to Netflix executives and who lunched with whom, etc. There were many common themes the shifting open web, the pains of the new data ecosystem. So apparently it was a very common theme being discussed where everyone was excited about CDPs and clean rooms and collaboration and the joy that came from, you know, the promise that they all bring. But one common theme was just this immeasurable pain of the transition, the lack of turnkey solutions, and just the lack of interoperability. And a lot of this pointed to the fact that the industry solutions are still not hitting as hard as they should because if we again go and build an ecosystem of solutions that are not interoperable, we might end up start with the same problems all over again. The one thing that came out of multiple narratives is this idea that measurement is just not discussed enough. There is a flurry of activity about CTV, but not enough about the broader data-driven television conversation. First Party Capital um, is, uh, Kieran O'Kane from First Party Capital has always talked about the fact that outside of the United States, CTV is largely just YouTube. And if you look at data-driven TV as a broader ensemble that covers CTV, linear, addressable TV and other unknown channels, then unless we're able to crack measurement, a lot of innovations will move ahead in isolation and advertisers will still not get what they want, which is one of his big claims, which is the fact that publishers will still hold a lot of control. So his big ask from the industry, and a lot of people who were at Can are pushing for more and more and more and more conversation around measurement, and pushing the industry's best minds to focus on getting that right, getting standards in place for CTV, for uh, the new data ecosystem, and then making sure that all of our innovations align with measurement standards. But that seems to be key to really solving the industry's problems or creating solutions that really last.
1: That's true. Another thing that as a strong theme that's coming about is the fact that publishers are increasingly holding a lot of these keys, right? And it's no longer going to be somebody on the outside or a third-party measurement company that is going to hold or sort of be the torchbearer for this. Everybody has to participate, which is probably... Coloring the lines of what you just said on interoperability, um, Augustine Fu, somebody internally today uh, day before yesterday on our Slack group shared, uh, you know, a quick and dirty um, presentation that he had made on the seat C- on CTV CPMS, and there are banner ads on CTV, um, on CTVs, which I, I thought banner ads were dead, but they're not clearly, and YouTube has the highest CPMs and they are around $70 for these banner ads, which is ridiculous. And, you know, and here this is one. And the second one is, I mean, I'm hoping that these YouTube banner ads are therefore from YouTube and therefore they know when the television screen has been switched on and so on and so forth. But then CPMs are going to constantly increase. But I'm, I'm disappointed to know that we have a brand new medium so immersive so personal <laughs> it's in my house and you're serving me a bloody banner come on yeah. i mean i mean that's a little that's taking it back like to the dark ages yeah but anyway i mean i'm sure that it's easier and therefore it's simpler and scalable for people to actually start making money off of it these platforms are not cheap to set up and so that's why advertising at the end of the day everybody shakes their head disappointedly and walks away saying oh that's it but um Speaking of uh, going back to the Dark Ages and, you know, what's happening with uh, the age-old arena of sports, yeah. streaming games seems to have again struck gold, right. right? Everybody's kind of hustling and grappling for rights. What have you been reading there?
0: Yeah. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the IPL rights and we broke it down. Um, And while Disney lost the IPL rights in India, um, on the other side of the world, they have retained Formula One rights in the United States for 15 times what they went for a few years ago. And they paid $75 million from it, which is chump change when compared to the NFL or the IPL or the kinds of rights values that we're seeing in other leagues. But it's still 15x what Formula One was worth just a few years ago. Um, I'm, on, I'm told Netflix and Amazon were also in the running. But what makes this interesting for me is the fact that it's, it, it, it's come a full circle. Sports is increasingly being viewed as being cord-cutting proof. Um, while a lot of other organizations are trying to figure out what Wall Street has done to streaming or what streaming has done to Wall Street and whether or not that model is sustainable,
1: Uh, expand a little more as to why people think that this is caught cutting proof in terms of sports fans.
0: Because um, while a lot of organizations are trying to figure out whether or not they should syndicate content, whether or not they should uh, create original content, because that is proving to be a very expensive proposition. And while Netflix enjoyed this honeymoon period on Wall Street where they were rewarded and Their stock, their their company was valued at 35, 40x their earnings. Most traditional media companies have always been valued at 5x, 10x, maybe 12x. And so everyone looked at Netflix and said, well, why do they get to play by different rules? And the understanding was that you invest a lot of money in content. Wall Street will reward you because you get subscribers. And then somewhere down the line, you figure out how to make that sustainable. And Wall Street learned very quickly that that does not last forever. Netflix learned it the hard way. They were trading, the company was worth 300, 400 billion dollars a few months ago and now it's worth 70 billion dollars. And so now a lot of organizations are realizing that there's more to building a sustainable streaming business than just spending a ton of money on content. You require a sustainable business model, you need filler content, you need to attract an audience who's not loyal to your platform, they're loyal to the content. And sports has always been content that has stood by itself and stood very strong in terms of loyalty. Uh, The relationship between sports fans and sports as a medium has always had the power to attract an audience and in fact even pull people out of their households to go watch a game at a bar, watch a game at the stadium. So sports has... A draw of its own. That's and also sports powerful. fans
1: and sports channels, right? Yes. There are certain channels that you will only go to because you are expecting them to carry yes. the best commentary, the best games, yes. the best rights. Yeah. Yes.
0: So what's interesting for me is there is now this gold rush to acquire sport rights, sports rights, simply because of the power of the business you can build around sports. But if you look at just Formula One as an example. Formula One got a shot in the arm from Netflix, who made Drive to Survive, who is now going to make a similar series on tennis and a similar one on cycling, uh, where they are going to follow the Tour de France. And so it's interesting that sports has now come a full circle, because streaming helped build these leagues up again. And now the rights for sports leagues are going through the roof. Variety.com had a very interesting analysis, which I'd love to plug into our substack today. ...on what this all means because this is again an unsustainable, hurtling out of control movement... ...because sports rights that are going higher and higher and higher are by themselves not sustainable. This is streaming and investing in content all over again. Statistics show that across sports leagues, the value of rights is double of what it was a few years ago... ...or is about to be double of what it was back in 2015 or 2016... And some leagues have gone up by over a thousand percent. But when we looked at what happened with the IPL, we ran our own internal numbers just to see if the kind of uh, uh, values we were looking at in the market, $5 billion, $6 billion, $7 billion, we wanted to see if those were sustainable. And a a lot of our early analysis points to the fact that it's going to be very hard to recover that kind of expenditure. So what I don't think people realize is that this is going to create second-order effects that will again take us back where we started. If the rights go out of control, uh, uh, streaming companies, cable companies will have no option but to pass those costs along to consumers. ESPN has already tabled the fact that they need to charge viewers $10 a month just to cover programming costs. And so this is again going to cause subscribers to churn and create an unsustainable circle of events. And so while this is a gold rush, it's one that needs to be watched very carefully because it could put the industry in soup all over again. And I keep thinking about Harsha Bogle's comment from the IPL. He said, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you don't, you don't get a shot at it at all. But if you do, you get a shot at something that's so hard to crack that it's nearly impossible.
1: But from a macro perspective, right, all of these things have to happen so that you're at least able to find a new starting point even if you even if things normalize again you know these are ebbs and troughs your trough is much higher than from where you started off in the past so it's a it's a continuous cycle that we that I feel that we mustn't um, I mean everybody raises their eyebrows on the investment right but we're also pushing people in trying to figure out is advertising the only way to make money for example? And how many, how many methods of monetization can you come up with? And all of these things in terms of um, the kind of leagues that we're setting up and, and sports, and especially in terms of the Indian context, we're actually bringing sports closer and closer to homes in, in terms of careers and choices that our children make or even how we choose to spend our time. And that's very exciting for us even as an economy, right? Because there is so much more to do because we have so many people and so there is a lot for us to be able to unpack and discover with the kind of ability to stream uh, that is uh, you know that's happening with sports uh, in terms of streaming you read uh, Peter Kafka's where is where are the Netflix Netflix where are the 2 million
0: where are the 2 million subscribers going like he, his latest podcast episode uh, on the Record Media podcast tabled this question he said where are lost subscribers going <laughs> it's a new series um, <laughs> my my theory is that they're all just going out. <laughs> Covid is kind of done except it's not as I learned this week <laughs> yeah. um, but they I mean this is just a market correction and um the 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 funny thing is while streaming numbers are going down, cable numbers are also going down in the United States so it is possible that people are just um saturated with the number of subscriptions they have and they're just trimming their expenditure that that could. That's all it could be.
1: It's also one of those expected churns that you have. And I remember reading this really long time ago. And this is where India and the US differ. And you studied and you spent a lot of time in the US as well. Summer is a big deal. So July, August, September is just a whole bunch of merriment and outdoors, right? So much so that um, back in the day, cable television companies and networks wouldn't release new seasons of anything at that point in time because they were guaranteed a low viewership because people were outdoors, like you were saying. And, you know, come October, November, December, which is family time, it's usually colder, people are indoors. The ability for you to watch more shows are much higher there, right? So your viewership naturally kind of goes up. So the weather really does play a big role in, in, in viewership in general. Uh, and so I think... Like we keep saying, the more things change, the more they still stay the same at the end of the day. I mean, we keep going around in circles and we're like, but this is always the case. It's not like, it's not a new thing for Netflix at this point in time, but it's just that we know the the the, the number of people, the number of subscribers. Earlier, you would just say, you would talk about it in percentages because it was on a sample set, which is also bringing me back to the statistic that we spoke about in CTV, where 17% of the ads are being served when it's, when the TV is off. Well, that was the case all the time for the last 50, 70 years. People were still paying for those ads at the end of the day and they weren't, and they weren't cheap even back then.
0: I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of um, industries and a lot of companies have to figure out how to get ads right and figure out how to get monetization right because we have to coexist with the world of advertising which is something i learned when i was reading about what's happening over at wikipedia this week i don't know if you have seen the number of times wikipedia petitions users i want for to be cookie i
1: want to be cookie by wikipedia I have, because i have paid
0: yeah i have paid in the past i could not i could not um, stomach it because i use wikipedia so much yeah um but wikipedia this week put out some uh, news about how they are taking a stab at monetization And instantly, all of Twitter started whining about the fact that Wikipedia is going to see ads. And in my head, I was just like, oh, sharp, guys. It's okay to see an ad. There's nothing so bad about it. But Wikipedia is not showing us ads. They have launched the Wikimedia Enterprise tier.
1: Oh, it's called Wikimedia, is it?
0: Wikimedia. Wikimedia, the parent company, um, has launched Wikimedia Enterprise which is basically a white-gloved managed service enterprise tier so that large tech organizations that benefit from wikipedia's data can get a little more and wikipedia can get paid so the whole idea is they can create custom data sets rich data sets offer premium support and companies like google uh, alexa folks who use wikipedia's data to power their own services can get a better service but wikipedia can also get compensated for it Um, unlike many of Wikipedia's contemporaries like Amazon or Google who went on to become giant tech companies Wikipedia never went down that route and Wikipedia has committed this time to not allowing this to balloon out of control and said that they will never allow more than 30% of their revenues to come from this enterprise tier Um, anything that keeps Wikipedia alive will make me happy that's
1: very true the so wait explain this to me so when 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 you put up a, a, a space on Wikipedia, right? There's somebody writing this, correct? And then you have it, you have it crowd corrected and crowd accepted, and they say citations needed and so on and so forth. So a lot of the facts and you know uh, things about history and maybe network. I remember going reading up and going and reading up about um, at and and the entire at and fiasco with. All the connections to all the new stuff that's happening, and there are some citations that are needed. So tomorrow, if I on if I'm on Google and or on Google Home or on Amazon Home, and I and I say I'm doing a project, right? And I say, hey, um, Alexa, tell me about what happened with AT and T, right? So you're saying that maybe tomorrow. Uh, Amazon will have to pay Wikipedia for them to be able to access this information that is technically, because it's- Not to access,
0: not to access. Anything that organizations have access to already today is, will continue to remain. Um, Google, for example, has already signed up to pay Wikipedia for uh, deeper, larger custom data sets. I think that's what it will come down to. It will basically offer a more enterprise relationship to Google so that they can offer better services on top of it.
1: I'm curious. I'm curious about this. I'm going to go read more about this and figure it out because I kept thinking this is more of a crowdsource thing. So I in my mind I'm not able to make that connect between you know something that's crowdsourced versus an enterprise relationship um and you know how they're going to be doing this across the board for say Google and but we should come back to it. Speaking of um, Google and uh, Amazon and contemporaries etc Yahoo was in the news the other day. Um, they're kind of making a splash at Cannes this, this, this season. Um, I didn't know this. I wasn't keeping track of this. And, I, you know, maybe people are listening to this podcast actually already knew. Uh, but Apollo Funds uh, acquired Yahoo last year. And Yahoo has been very, very busy trying to regain a footing, uh, you know, in the advertising world. And that was their mainstay for revenue in the first place when they were really large, before they kind of went... Uh, Belly up. And uh, they've been working very steadily and quietly over the last year and maybe over the last three years with a couple of partners. They are an omni channel programmatic platform and they do make sure that people are able to buy uh, ads through them so that they are able to place ads on various other platforms. So they are a, a DSP, right? One of the things that actually they they, they highlighted in this particular article, which I think is in our exchanger, uh, talks about um, Marriott's arrangement with Yahoo. Now you and I and everybody listening in as well has been in a fancy hotel room at the Marriott at some point or the other. We have clicked through guest services on that television screen in a nice waffle uh, cotton house coat, right? But did you know that in this new arrangement, that Yahoo and Marriott have gotten to an arrangement where anonymized data is given to Yahoo and your television screens within your hotel room. This is You cannot get more intimate than this, right? While you're on a business trip or a holiday or whatever, you're able to see ads that are hyper-targeted to you on the television screen. So it's interesting because... For example, if I was visiting a new city and I wanted to know something about that city, which was not specifically curated by Marriott, but if I had like services and places to see or products to buy or shopping to do or whatever, and that was coming to my screen, it's fantastic because a lot of the content, if you remember, on the television screens were these beautiful vignettes of the place, which was there, that was actually produced by the Marriott, and then of course you had a you know you had regular TV that you could go through, but Marriott therefore is almost like a closed-circuit CTV, in my opinion, right? So it's an internet-enabled screen. It's got specific types of data. It's only for a specific uh, type of audience. And it is, uh, it's time-bound. So there's a lot to be unpacked as well with what this whole Marriott deal is. We've been, we've been harping a lot about retail media and what Walmart and Amazon are doing. And they're far more bottom of the funnel because there's a high-intent audience over there, people willing to spend people wanting to buy and so on and so forth. But with, with Marriott, you have a person who's looking for an experience of some sort, right? And they are willing to spend that money for an experience. And so this is a completely different type of user and a completely different part of the funnel altogether. Uh, so it's quite exciting what they're doing. And I'm hoping, again, there are no banner ads and they're doing something that's far more immersive and exciting and at least uh, indulging in the fact that I'm that I'm going to be watching it in my Marriott room. But yeah, lots of stuff happening in the world of advertising. Some old, some new, some things remaining the same. But it's, uh, it's good to know that you're doing well, Anand, and that the week has finally come to an end. Yes. I like this podcast because it kind of signals that the week has been done. So
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Anyway,
1: see you all next week. And I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to share anything that um, you may have as your opinions or your observations, make sure that you like, share, comment, wherever you find this podcast. And don't forget to also read our subscribe.
0: Bye. Bye.